warning. The guest episodes on License for Love are experiences, expertise, and views of their own. The diversity duo is in no way liable for actions or advice one takes in their daily life from our guests. Our purpose is to give everyone a voice to be understood, not necessarily agreed with. You're listening to License for Love with Cowboy Jax and Lauren Michaels Harris. The heartbeat in relationship conversation. Sexy, beautiful, let your hair Hey, y'all, this is Cowboy Jax, and you're listening to License for Love, and I'm with my good friend, Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris. And today's episode is called Though I Walk Through the Valley. Uh, Lauren, this is going to be such an exciting episode uh, with the guests that we have today. But first off, how are you doing today, my friend? Well, I was good. Now you got me scared. Scared? Yeah, talking about now. You let me tell you something about black folks. When you start talking about walking through the valley of the child, we like the upper room stuff like that. You know, look. So I'm not really like. What are you talking about? Walk through the valley of the shadow. But I am intrigued because I've done a little research about today's guest, and um, it is going to be quite the eye opener. I know that. So I'm good to answer your question. I'm not really scared. I walked through the valley myself once or twice. How about you? You know, it's interesting that my high school principal said that I would either be dead or in prison by the time that I was 25 because of the life that I was living once upon a time. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about today's episode for a lot of different reasons. I, I think one of the biggest reasons is, is that there's a huge stigma that is attached when you hear the word prison, right? Yeah. And and I think it's almost contradictory in some ways because it's like, okay, you go to prison in order to correct something that you did that was illegal. But then when you get out of prison, there's so many situations where now, because you have that stigma, it's very difficult for you to find employment and be able to prosper in your life, you know, um, very few people are able to do that. Or, or wait a minute. No, you done stepped in it now. Okay, come on with it. You done stepped in it now. Come on with it. See, it is difficult when you don't see the proof because there's three of us on the screen and two of us have beat those very odds that you just described. So mm -hmm. right now, Charles well, now, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've beat my own odds. Thank no, you very much. I, I may not have actually went to the pokey, but I was on my way there. Yeah, so what? That ain't the same. You ain't got a number. Yeah. You didn't have to walk down parole. You didn't have, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Two totally different worlds, my friend. And if you don't believe me, go back out and come back in. You can get there if you still want to. But I would trust what I'm saying. I'm just saying, is it, Charles, is it the same or not? Oh, well, wait a minute. Not time for Charles to come in yet. <laughs> I can't help it. You got me going now. Well, you need to, you need to, you need to pack it back down, okay? Because we're not in cell block C right now. So let's make sure that we follow the format of our show. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Okay, so. Uh, Stop. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Back car up. Yes. The format of our show is and will always be the truth of what we're talking about. Right. Well, let me tell you something. 
if it gets outside of the format, format be damned. We're here today to talk. I want those young brothers out there that are headed where we've already been to not miss one word of this. And that means brothers of all colors. Don't, I don't want nobody to go to that place. That, that's why I brought it up as a majority, not to make you feel like you were the minority. That's what I want understood. Wouldn't be the that's wouldn't all. be the first time I felt like a minority. Well, I I'm completely understand that because yeah. Charles knows just like I do when he gets in here. He'll tell you every day a person is in that place is not guaranteed. A lot of times I don't see people get taken out for a stamp, or owing for a stamp, lost their life for a stamp, and they were in there for some kind of should have been a misdemeanor. Stuff like that. So there's all kinds of things. I can't wait to get this guy in here today. Okay. Right, all right. right. So I'll, I'll I'll be the one to 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 pull it in here. Uh, so psychnet.apa.org has some very interesting things to talk about. The stigma of incarcer of the incarceration experience. Uh, a systemic review. Now, I found this very interesting because it said individuals who have been incarcerated experienced unparalleled health and economic disparities. Stigma defined as social phenomenon in which labeling, separation, and discrimination occur together in a power situation that allows them uh, may be the cause of the social inequities, uh, inequalities rather, that formerly incarcerated persons face. Now, some of the statistics um, was very interesting, too. And if I'm all over myself, it's because I'm just kind of scanning here. And we all know that I have brain damage. So 16, 52% included a measure of enacted stigma, direct experiences of discrimination, whereas only 6, 90% assessed internalized stigma. Now, it's interesting because I understood the aspects of the external stigma. But when I was reading the research on this, the internal stigma, which obviously, I mean, we saw that, like you were you were just back there in that moment, you were triggered, like you were, you know, looking over your left and right shoulder, you were thinking about numbers and, and parole and all these different kinds of things. So it's interesting how that stigma also lingers internally. Thoughts? Oh, me? Yeah, you. Well, well, this is going to be a good one. I'm going to try to keep my mouth shut. I ain't promising, but I'm going to try. Because I'm going to tell you something. Well, I mean, this isn't the show to keep your mouth shut on, though. Okay, well, for me personally, the stigma is not. mm -mm. The stigma was a part of the grooming process. And I'm speaking from the foster care place. Because when I was in prison, that same bed with that same green plasticky uh, mattress and pillow that slide out of the thing all the time with the same beds they put me in in group homes when I was 12 and 13 years old. The same paint that was on those walls were the same paint on the walls in my group home. So they were the same colors, the same everything, the same beds screwed to the floor as when I went to the county jail before I ever got to prison and so on and so forth. So I'm going to tell you something. I was a kid. And I wasn't in foster care because I walked out of my house. I was there because that's where I ended up because of adults' decisions. And so I look at it, it don't belong to me. It never has. 
that's how I got out. But it isn't that way for many. Because it's all a part of a, of a bigger deception. It's a cottage industry. A feeder school. Call it what you will. Interesting. So uh, I, I really like, and you're right, because I remember when I was in the group home, right. that the, the same mat that right. was there was the same mat was the first one that I was on when I went to basic training in the army. Exactly. Even you know, there. So, absolutely right. Yeah, so, so it's, it's very interesting uh, how there's so much that interrelates to the subject matter in general of institutionalization and, and how that can affect you long-term, yeah. I think is important too. Yes, And I think it's important for our listeners out there because obviously our podcast, if you don't know by now, is centered on do I judge a book by its cover? Right. And so some of the things that Lauren and I are talking to you about today and, and also our guests who will be in here in just a little bit, um, you're going to see that by taking these things as the cover like words like i've been to prison or i grew up in foster homes mm-hmm. or i'm going to be bre- dead or in prison by the time that i'm 25 like all of these different kind of things that you take the negative and 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 personify that you're actually missing out you're missing out on a, a, a cool conversation. You're missing out on, on being able to talk to a person that's seen life through a lens that you necessarily haven't. Yes. And I think that that's something that Lauren and I are, are very passionate about. Well, Jack, right? look at it. Even you being in foster care. See, we've had that conversation many times, but I still yeah. have to won't be you be, Won't you be my neighbor? Right. And see, so it's not even a color thing. No, it isn't. No, it could be a kid thing, and it starts. Look, you were indoctrinated into that mindset. You know, nobody's safe. Nobody. So I'm just really excited about today's episode. I really, really. Well, and, and and you know what, Lauren, it really means a lot to me personally um, because of the fact that I think that where you and I have really connected is the fact that we see so far past the color of our skin. Yeah you know, and, and connect to those experiences. And I think that if society as a whole would take that moment to connect with those experiences, they would see past sexuality. They would see past the color of your skin and they would really start to be able to relate and build and grow from each other. And, and that is really what we want to accomplish with this podcast. Um, See, so, that's what I love about you, Jax. That's it right there. You know. Um, now I'm blushing. What, what do you love about truth. me? It's the truth. And, and 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 I'm just I'm grateful that you remind me about that mission of ours from time to time because it is, it is so necessary. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. So okay, so check this out. Um now this comes from prisonpolicy.org. Uh, which I kind of think in some ways is a, an oxymoron in and of itself. But anyways, uh, the report shows that of more than 50,000 people released from federal prison in 2010, a staggering 33% found no employment at all over four years post-release. And at any given time, no more than 40% of the cohort 
was employed. Um, I'm not really sure what the 40% in the cohort was employed. Perhaps you can help me with that, doctor. But I think it's insane to think about the state of our economy and how many jobs there are in the United States that we have 33% found no employment over four years. Well, first of all, you're, it's apples and oranges when you're talking about state, prison, and federal. The time okay. is different. The manner in which you do the time is different. You know, okay. federal prisons from in most cases compared to state are like country clubs. You know, people okay. get away with a lot more. They wear their own clothes, all kind of stuff, perks and things. And so, and think about it. Those people that get out of federal prison, they're in, what in there for money things. They got stuff buried places half the time or whatever the case may be. But what I'm saying is a different lifestyle or, you know, coming back to life from it. It's totally different, I believe, for those people in the state prison system as opposed to the, the federal. I love that. So, so even more layers to unpack, right? Because I don't know if, if, if Charles will be comfortable talking about what he went to prison for or not. We'll leave that up to him. That's his, that's his deal when he gets in here. But interestingly enough, you make a great point that there's more layers to unpack there in terms of the stigma of what you went to prison for. That's right. just fucking sad. Like I mean, that's, that's, that's just sad. Martha Stewart went. It ain't stop shit in her world. Well, actually, I, I think it actually gave her street cred. You know. <laughs> so I'm just saying, you know, it's just it's there's a lot. You said it when you said a lot to unpack. There's always a lot. I mean, so what do you think about that though? Like, don't you think that it is an absolute contradiction? Because there's listeners right now that are listening to this information for the first time and scratching their head because they're like, wait a minute. So you go to jail in order to reform yourself to become a better person. But yet when you come out into society now over 33%, right? And this is 2010, which I don't know what the statistic may be right oh. at this moment. Oh, yeah, that's uh, do some homework. But the reality is, is that's 33% of people not being able to get employment. Well, that number is much higher if you were using state numbers. Yeah, and and the state the state differential okay, there too, I think is interesting compared to federal prisons. So when you got out of jail, right, or when you got out of prison, or or whatever it is, oh. you you yeah, um, is that what focused you to become an entrepreneur? Let's put it no, I was always an entrepreneur. Okay, I was an entrepreneur at ten when I made ten thousand dollars selling Shackley products. Yeah, yeah, I was always an entrepreneur. That, no, 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 no. What it did, though, what it did was, I mean, I've always been about not being a statistic, no matter what. Mm. And for not letting someone else uh, turn me into my own self-fulfilling prophecy. No. Same. Same. You know, so every time they said I couldn't, I, I, that's the last thing you should have let me know. Because I'm getting ready to prove you wrong. Seriously. And so... I don't believe that what created me makes mistakes. I believe that what created me keeps it interesting. And so I look on at that. I, I love that. And on that yeah. note, folks, we'll be back right after these messages with our uh -huh. guest on Though I Walk Through the Valley, you're listening to License for Love.
Hey y'all, this is Cowboy Jax. I just wanted to invite you to join the heartbeat and relationship conversation in this space right here. Your product, your service, your message. Let's ride. Hey y'all, this is this is Cowboy Jax, and like Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris said, we're back, and I'm with my good friend, uh, Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris, and uh, I'm I'm talking over myself right now because I'm so excited. Uh, for this guest. Uh, Lauren, why don't you read a little bit about this gentleman before we get him in here? I will. Well, his name is Charles D. Clark. He's an American-born multi-award-winning professional SAG after that screen actor skill for those of you, and the American Federation of Television and Radio. Um, he's an actor. He's known for his bad boy role, and I'm doing air quotes, um, in the Fox hit show. You can remember Empire, remember Cookie and Lucius and all of them. Yeah, well, our guest today was one of Shine's main goon enforcers. If you remember, Shine was the bad guy, right? So Charles, he's also played various detective roles on hit true crime series all over the television channels. You can find more about him. He's been in, um, made appearances with Will and Jada, Pinkett Smith. Um, remember the movie, um, Charm City Kings. Check that one out. Find it on HBO Max. And he's just got a list of accomplishments that is um, as long as the day is. So I just rather do like the kids say, we can show you better than we can tell you. So let's just get him in here. Welcome to the show, Charles D. Clark. What's up, man? Hello, two icons. How you doing? <laughs> uh, man, have you? we're doing all right. You saw Lauren got a little uh, fired up. Uh, that first segment and i know you've been listening backstage this whole entire time um what what are your thoughts on some of what we were talking about in that first segment that's a good way for us to kick off here uh i agree with everything what dr lauren said i mean uh state and federal is different uh because state is limited uh i went to federal i did almost eight years in federal um the only thing with federal is that certain prisons uh, have it depends about the demographics. Like the prison I was in up in Virginia, didn't you get a mixture of Chicago, New York, DC, all of the places where it's known with violence. And when you put all those guys to one section and they have access to all these things, as Dr. Lauren was saying, it also can be a flip side to that. But typically, federal is uh, have more options than the state. So those numbers, my thing is, is that these are the people who. I say that they are part of Wall Street. For instance, people say, well, um, why do you don't like Price is Right? I seen Bob Barker all through jail and all through prison. I don't want to watch Price is Right. I'm, I'm simply saying, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and what I'm simply saying is, you know, uh, he talked about the, the green mattress. I remember when I was waiting to get sentenced, and we, and Laura, you know, we, Dr. Lauren, you know, we call that the boat. You have a boat. <laughs> Sometimes you didn't have a green mattress. It just be a hard miniature boat and you have to wait to get into this, um, the, the, you know, the, uh, your, your actual sale because it's overpopulated. Exactly. And what I want people to understand, and Dr. Lauren, you also are familiar with this as well, prison is a business. Make no mistake. We are the stocks. The greater the crime, the bigger the stock that you are. It's supposed to be uh, a place of discipline in course with uh, being, you know, real, real rehabilitating yourself to become a better person, but actual self. If they actually put forth the effort to change us, then most likely we're not coming back. And if we don't come back, taxpayers' money don't come back to those prisons. 
those stocks. Mm-hmm. See Damn, what I'm saying? You done dropped a truth bomb right um, there. Holy so, cow. So those, the, so those numbers, and one thing that Dr. Lauren just was saying that it's one of the key things in becoming successful coming out of prison. He was already an entrepreneur. So what he naturally had, he didn't let the prison take it from him. Mm-hmm. He learned how to manifest that and evolve and adjust to where when he came out, he came up with the time of the world, the evolution, and look at him now. And same with you, um, brother uh, Cowboy Jacks. And that's basically what I did. You know, I, you know, I, when I first came to prison, they, and I, I remember my number to this day, 10249-084. The first time I went to the hole is when they called me that number. And I said, it's not my, no, that's not my name. My name is Charles Demetrius Clark. Mm. And they put me in the hole for two days, but not respecting authority. Mm-hmm. So you're going to punish me because I am claiming my birth name that my mom and dad gave me because I would not apply or would not agree to a number that you gave me. And this is my social security number. I'm not responding to that. And what I'm simply saying is that if they can change your name to a number, and you attest to that, and you agree to that, imagine what else they can change to you. Because mm. your name is everything. So if they can change your name, they can change your emotions, they can change your personality, they can change the way you think. They will make you feel so comfortable. In order to be adjusted to something, you must be comfortable with it. You want to come back. I've talked to many of people, and I'm sure Dr. Lauren, you ran across um, um, uh, 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 the, 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 number, the numbers they are speaking of. How many people say, man, I don't know if I'm ready to go out there in society. I, right. I, or, or I feel better. They become so comfortable being in an environment. Yes. And institutionalized. Yes, institutionalized. And then, and then too, I want to make one thing clear. Dr. Lauren, you're also going to attest to this as well. And, and you too, uh, Cowboy Jacks. You know, people think when people go to prison, they just, you know, bad person, you know, tough, gangster, whatever. The people don't understand that you have to already be who you are before you get there. Prison don't make you bad. Prison is where they send you. The time that you get is what the judge give you. I grew up from a, a great family. My father died when I was, you know, five in a fatal accident. Devastated my US life. Veteran, like, right? Your dad, yeah, veteran, your dad yeah. is a U.S. Yeah, veteran. Yeah. Right, yep. And my mom did all she could. I was in martial arts. I got into boxing. Um, played sports. But I, I needed that father figure. I needed to hear that manly voice, that superhero voice. My my first best friend. But he wasn't there. And I was, I was envy of that. So when you start hanging in the streets, you got these pimps, drug dealers, stone cold killers who giving you a couple of dollars here and there, telling you, good job, son, show up at your games, all the type of stuff. Um, You become immune to it. What I'm simply saying is that I got comfortable being a gangbanger. I got comfortable being a goon enforcer. I got comfortable being in a drug game. And I realized that long before prison came, I was already in prison. Didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. It actually took for me to go to prison and realize, man, I'm free. What I'm going to do about this, you know? Mm-hmm. Because in prison, you can't run to your house. In okay. prison, you don't have guns. In prison, you 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 can't have beef and then try to hide out. Everything that you do, every decision that you make, you have to face it head on. And oh. Dr. Lord, as I'm lying, no. if you're in a pod. And if one of your cellmates have beef, 
We all got beef. All of it. They tell you when to sleep. They tell you when to eat. Uh, you can you, you can be bad if you want to. You know. Well, neither one of you know this, but I was a corrections officer. Okay. So but, where you guys yeah. were on one side of it. And I don't talk about this a lot, yes. actually. I worked in a detention center and you're you're a hundred percent correct. And I think one of the things that for me, being on the other side of that, is that I always treated people like human beings. Because yes. when something would pop off and everybody was supposed to get on the ground or they were supposed to go directly to their cell because I was in the de detention part. I was never afraid that if I was there by myself outside of the box, that everything would be cool. But there was a guy that would constantly treat people like shit that he was absolutely terrified when it'd be a cold blue, because he knew that those guys wanted to cut his fucking head off. People like them, we wait on. Right. You know what it is. Every dog has his day, and 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 and, and it goes back to the point of what Dr. Lauren was saying about about federal. How people have money hidden. People have to understand that because you locked up doesn't mean you don't you don't have any power. Right. There's guys and they can have your family knocked off if they really wanted to. Gone, gone. Kids missing, all types of stuff. All of it. You know, so you know you can't come in there cocky. You can't come in there, you know, uh, uh, as a correction officer, and then too as an inmate. You know, if you're not built to be the typical entitlement of gangster or bad boy, stay green. You know, stop the politics because prison well, you're is going to get your card pulled one way or another. Like, the, there's no question about that. Like, if you want to come in there, like you're rolling some shit, like you're going to get your card pulled at some point. Oh, hey, look, look, you know, I told I told someone the other day. They have prisoners who work in the administrative part, okay? And it's called kites. Dr. Long, you know what that kite is? Oh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Before you get to your cell, they already know. They're going to ask you. They're going to ask you what you're here for, you know? And see, and with me, you know, and, and, I, and I'll tell you what I was like for. Conspiracy uh, of selling um, crack cocaine also um, in gang relation because, you know, I was part of, you know, of a gang. Um, that's what made it federal, Charles. That's what made it federal. It they, and then federal picked it up. Uh, they wanted me to flip. They offered me 13 months at a camp. That's what they offered me. That you wouldn't roll? I don't even roll dice. So, okay. <laughs> you know, I got my badge of honor all, on my body. I got my badge of honor. And and it's, and, and I, I want the listeners to understand that I'm not saying that you have to go to prison to get your badge of honor or street cred. I, I, I truly believe that God picked people like us to go through these things because somebody has to tell the story. Exactly. But you have to survive to tell it. And, uh, and uh, apparently we survived it because, yes, you know, Lord. the Bible says many was called, but few was chosen. Oh, you. Mm. So that's why. That's why Dr. Lauren came out of prison and jail and foster homes, but he's now a doctor. That's yeah. why Cowboy Jess came to foster homes but serve our country. And then look at your movement in the radio show. And God put y'all two together. Yeah. That's why Charles D. Clark is, is a sack after actor right. and social justice advocate and what else God wants for me. But at the end of the day, the reason why we are so successful and steadily elevating. We never did it for the entitlement. We did it for God's glory. That's, That's why I would right. say, give God the glory and victory will be your story. The more that you praise God, the more he will give you more to praise. 
And when I see these people out here, these so-called thugs and gangsters, I'm a killer. Know these rappers, pants hanging, pants hanging. I'm just like, you are nothing. You, you are nothing. And the reason why I say you are nothing because you're not living in what you're supposed to actually be doing. I've seen more brains on the wall than most people have seen in a movie, horror movie. I've been involved in a lot of things. I have stuff that I'm going to carry to my grave. And I thank God that he's a forgiving God because if, if he wasn't, I would have had a first class ticket to hell. My, I, I was, see, they wanted me for other things. Wow. All they could do is give me conspiracy to crack cocaine, but they wanted me because they knew. And uh, Dr. Lauren, and, and, and even you, brother, um, Kevin, we know what a goon enforcer does. We know what yeah. they do. Let's just be real. Oh, yeah. We are, we yeah. are the people that make the kingpins look dangerous. We we do the dirty work. That's how I landed. You took, the, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say we, someone's yeah. got to do the work. I didn't. I didn't have no conscience. The, the way the streets did was they knew I was yearning for a father figure. <clears throat> and when you got three or four um, big guys in the streets calling you son, I, I, in my mind, I got four new dads for the price of one. Wow. Right. And well I was said, willing to do anything, anything to keep that. You know, you you 15, 16 years old, you got a couple of grand in your pocket, throw you right. on an apartment, you know. Right. That power. That power. For me, for me it was for me it was the power. I was I was the connect, you know, to the to the drug dealer. I was the one that was running stuff. I wasn't enforcing like you were. I was I was running drugs and the power that I had was the part for me that was the most appealing because ever since I was 10 years old, I didn't really have a daddy. And if I had a stepdaddy around, he was constantly beating the shit out of me. So once I was to a point to where I could be able to run shit, like you bet I dove in head first. It's it's a power trip. I, Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed at that time, the fear that me and a couple of the guys that I was involved with, the power and the fear, the money we made. Anybody, the, the, anybody would, anybody yeah, so, would enjoy that and, power. Exactly. And I hear people tell their testimonies and I'm not uh, taking a shot at them, but I know for a fact, when you're in the arena that we all have been in, but I'm us three, you know the real emotional attachment that you had to that. And if you're going to tell a testimony, tell the testimony. There's no commercial breaks in the testimony. There's no, well, let me, let me reconfigure. No, tell like it is. I'll tell you straight up. I believe in God, but I didn't respect God. Mm, hold on, I hold on. That, yeah. that, that's a great stopping point right yeah. there. We'll be back right after these messages. We'll be with Charles D. Clark, though I walk through the valley. Hey, y'all, this is Cowboy Jax. I just wanted to invite you to join the heartbeat and relationship conversation in this space right here. Your product, your service, your message. Let's ride. Woo! I got to tell y'all, we done done went to a place and a love and a philosophy and a connection that it does not matter the damn color of your skin because right now we are literally an Oreo cookie. I ain't lying. Like I am <laughs> the white cream between uh, these two amazing uh, black pieces of cookie. Yes, I did. That's, that's what I do. I'm crazy like that. So, so I'm with my good friend, 
uh, Lauren Michaels Harris, Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris. The episode is called Though I Walk Through the Valley, and we're with our guest, Charles D. Clark. And right before the break, Charles said, I want you to say it again, Charles, because I I really want to unpack this. What did you say about God? My old self, at the time the devil had me, I believed in God, but I didn't respect God. Mm. And that's why that's an unbalanced scale. In other words, I knew he existed. I knew the terms that I, that I needed to do to serve him correctly. But at the time, the terms of the street seemed much better. And we know when you're in the streets, there's only two ways out. If you don't choose the, 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 the most unpopular way, death and prison. The most unpopular way is just quitting what you're doing. Because if that was the case, then prison would be filled up right now. It wouldn't be a business. You see what I'm saying? So um, it's sort of like it's sort of like saying McDonald's and or or Burger King. If you don't kill the cow, how can you have a burger? Okay, I guess there's so many places. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead, Lauren. Go ahead. Yeah, please. I'm holding on, Charles. I got one for you. Get ready for a good one. I'm ready. I want you to tell everybody. What it felt like the very first time when you were in prison, when you had somebody from the establishment that was either a CEO or a chaplain or somebody in the organization looked at you, the first of many, who over the years looked at you and when you would say something, they would look at you and go, hey, Clark, what are you doing here? Because they knew you don't fit the mold. Remember that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing you said that because you know, uh, Dr. Lauren, um, that matter, I'm, I'm gonna say brother Lauren because we already know you're a doctor, yeah. but I'm gonna say my yeah. brother's family because we're right. on a different thing right now. That's um, right. you know, when you first go to prison, you have the um, I call him the director, he's the guy that's been there the longest, about to get out, he tells you the ropes and tell you who not to mess with, who whatever. And I remember I, I met my counsel for the first time. And as we was talking, he took his glasses off. And I don't ever share this part of my testimony. So this is good. It's the first time, you know, sharing this part. And he says, Clark, I read your profile. He was like, you were just a lost person. He was like, as I'm talking to you, you are too articulate and you are too smart to be in here. Why are you here? And I remember my response. I said, I don't know. But whatever it is. I'm gonna find out in something in the eight years that I'm doing. See, I knew you had experienced it. It was to the point to where I was still in my mode. I think that my turning point was when the same guy who I first met, old, old school, you know, OG, uh, he had a phone call. You know, you only get 15 minutes on the phone, 10 minutes if the phone's ain't acting up. And in one day, and you'll get three calls in one day. He lost his wife. She left, basically left him. Um, and I think his son or stepson got, got killed. All in one setting. And he broke down. I'll never forget. I was frying some rice in the microwave. But Lord, you know about the microwave. The microwave was our oven. That's right. And you would probably oh, yeah. know about the microwave. Oh, yeah, you too. I don't, I, don't, I, don't know how many, I don't know how many fights that were. And that's the thing, listeners. What you need to understand, and this is why you shouldn't pass judgment on people, 
that have been to prison until you really understand who they are as people is because of the fact that the environment that they live in is so remedial and so juvenile that a 10 year old would be able to operate in that environment with the tools that they have to use in order to live. Now I say that because I want you to understand that they're not fucking 10 year olds. Okay. They're adults, they're grown people and they're treated so remedial and so much like children that like they were saying, like there's a microwave that everybody has to share. And the more that they're in that stigmatized environment, right? Because it is a stigmatized environment, the more that they start to become convinced that they're institutionalized and that they are those 10 year old children. So they'll kill your ass over a fudge round. Right, they'll they'll come at you over commissary. But right, I will say this: here's one thing, Charles, you and I share. But then there's also that other sector, those people that get asked what I asked you. I knew that it happened to you over and over because it was the same for me. Yes, and that is because, like you said, someone has to be sent in to come out and tell the story. And yes. that is exactly what it kept showing. I, I am living things today that I saw with my Walkman on, on the back 40, laying on my back, listening to jazz and looking at the clouds. And I saw things from the world I live in today. Yes, yes. That's prolific. That's pro- you know, the, the thing about, um, and, and with me, I was fortunate when I came to prison um, because, you know, you know, my guys took care of me, of course, you know, and also too, a lot of the guys that was in there was from my same arena stumping grounds, you know, as far as gang wise. So when I came in, I already had brothers in, you know, it's nothing worse coming in and nobody who nobody knows you, nobody can, you know, whatever. Um, but I say that because a lot of those guys I was able to affect and kept changing their lives as well. It was going back to the old school when he got the bad news. Um, he dropped to the floor. I was fixing the rice and um, I went over there, picked him up and I just say, man, come on, come on. Man. It's gonna be, I didn't know what was going on. It's going to be okay. And I started praying with him. Now my home is looking at me like this guy that we know don't pray like that. Like, you know, What's, what's, what's going on? I didn't know I could pray like that. It just hit me. And that's when the word kind of got around and a chaplain um, offered me to come down and be a part of a volunteer uh, for the purpose, uh, life, uh, purpose-driven life program, which uh, mostly, as I know, most prisons and even some jails have that. And um, I started inspiring people. And that's when I knew I had a calling. Didn't know exactly what it was particularly, but I knew that everything that I did wrong, I had a chance to make it right. And so, so, so that's a good, that's a good turning point because it obviously there was a faith element that came in there and, and not for the sake of sounding cliche, but you see this in movies, you hear about these things all the time. You, you actually live it, which is great, but let's talk about some other elements from going to prison for eight years, right? And and we know the faith component. Everybody knows that. I want to get stuff that people don't know necessarily about you. What was it that scared you the most about getting out of prison? And then how did the acting 
thing. Where was that epiphany for you with the acting thing? I think is is important. Yeah. So I have one of the most powerful, unique testimonies of becoming an actor. Uh, never because you try to be famous or celebrity or whatever. I didn't even have even thought I was going to become an actor. Um, my grandmother, rest in peace, Lucille Clark. At the end of my bid, uh, probably like by like maybe ten of a month left, my grandmother came to visit me. My dad's mom. Now she didn't visit me the entire time I was in there because she didn't want to see me in those conditions. But when she came, it was a surprise. I never forget. I was in a weight pod. My first time hitting um, almost 500 some pounds on the bench. You know, I'm getting ready to come home. You know, so we you know, getting all the way right. And they called me up. I see my grandma, my aunt, and my uncle walking across the uh, you know, the sidewalk to the visiting room. I pro my greens because at the time, now I'm at the camp. You know, I don't left. You know, I started off the medium high load after the camp at the time because I'm about to go home. Yeah, you're, and on the, I hey, you're on the way out, right? On the way out. So yeah, for yeah, our listeners, there's there's phases, right? You start out in max, then you well, make it to G, it GP, upon, and then the camp. Well, it depends upon your your, your crime. Okay. I was the okay. medium high. I was the medium high for maybe a couple of months. Then they put me at the uh, low, and then my last, I say, two years, maybe uh, well, a little less than two years, maybe like a year and eight months. That's why I went to the camp. The camp is right across from the low. You can see it. The, the, the medium high and the max, that's way on the other side of the compound. You don't see nothing. Yeah, I, I worked between yeah. intake and camp is where I was. Yeah. So whenever was everyone was getting ready to be transferred in the detention center, I was there. And then yeah. I actually got opportunity to work in the camp because like you, I wanted to be able to help people and show that connection and yeah. give them their humanity back. So, so anyways, yeah. you're Lucille so, yeah. comes to see you. Yeah. She comes to see me. I go in the visitor room. I'm watching my grandmother who I haven't seen in all these years, still look the same, a little bit slow. She looking all over the place. She's been sitting there by my uncle. My aunt comes to me. She says, nephew, nephew, look at me, look at me. I says, what, what's going on? She said, your grandmother has three brain tumors and dementia. And I felt my heart drop. She says, right now, your grandma thinks that you are your dad. And from what the doctor said, whatever she thinks at that time, if she's stuck on that, you have to play along with that. You can't make her think anything different because it, it'll put stress on her condition. Now, visit was about two and a half hours. I went over there. She looked at me, touched my hand. She called me my dad's name. So she really thought it was my dad. So imagine looking to the eyes of my grandmother that is dying and becoming my dad who's already dead. For the whole two hours, I couldn't crack and show any emotions. I had to hold it in me to, to give her what she was looking for. Well, but your dad was also epic too, right? So there was a part of you at that point that was like, I can't fill these shoes like this this yeah, man was dad, yeah, a green yeah. beret like he was extraordinary yeah, he was, like yeah i mean so so there probably had to been an imposter syndrome i assume that that it, you were facing at it, that time it was some subconsciously but also too was blocked by still burning the pain of my dad and experiencing the new pain of my grandma and i haven't even recovered from that Right. Where we're at, we're in a and and and, and before I go into further, um, uh, brother Lauren, and also with you, Cup Cowboy Jacks, the most painful thing in prison is when you watch your family members or your close friends going to visit you walk away. So painful, so devastating. If you have some type of heart or emotional attachment, so that two and a half hours, I, I became my dad. I remember the stories that was told to me from family members, my dad's close friends, even from my grandma herself. 
When my grandmother left, the CEO called me over. Typically, that's nothing out of the ordinary. You know, they make sure you didn't know contraband. Typical thing, you know, shakedown. He put his hands on my shoulders. He says, Clark, his eyes was real watery, like he's about to cry. He said, I just witnessed something that was just incredible. He said, in a, in a, he said, I understand it's painful. He says, for you to embody your dad, for you to do that for your grandmother was an Oscar moment. Wow. He said, I don't know what you got planned when you get out of there. You need to be an actor. He said, that right there would have won an Oscar. I'm looking at him like, my grandmother's dying. I had to come out. I was like, what is it? What I was like, all right, man, whatever. When I went out to the visiting room, I vomit. I mean, I was sick. I was, oh, I, it was, it was probably one of, most, one of the most painful things in my life. When I, um, a couple of months later, getting closer to me getting, getting out, I got a call and my grandmother died. She's supposed to, she was one of the people, you know, when you get out of prison, you can have up to three family members, less than change, on the list to come when they come pick you up. They can bring you clothes and all that other stuff. They can send it in. But anyway, um, my grandmother was on that list, but she died. So when I got out of prison, uh, you know, I was on five years of supervised probation. My first trip was going to my grandmother's house. So my first time going to the house with her not being there. Her not standing at the screen door looking at me. Hey, baby. There go my grandbaby. You know, and we had a special connection because her firstborn child, her oldest, was my dad. So I go into the house, you know, with my aunts and family and them, and they, you know, and go back to the room because she died at home in her bed. And I smelled the quilt that she, you know, that she was still there. It smelled like lavender and peppermint and just my grandmother, that sweet southern smell. And something hit me. I remember what the CEO said, I'm just trying to adjust to life, being an actor. A couple months later, I went to a red carpet event. Somebody saw me there. You, know, you come out of prison, you know, you big, buff, got the glow. Y'all know what it is. Hey, what a bit, you, you fit this description of the being this movie. It's an independent film. I'm just like, God, stop playing with me. Okay. Just the same year I got out. I got out February 18, 2009. Dang. I was on I was on my first movie set August the 7th, 2009. The same year I got out. Yeah. And when I first got on this set, shout out to Brian Nesbitt, New Wave Productions, because uh, one of his colleagues, the one that uh, uh, connected us, had a small speaking role. When I saw the cameras, when I heard the light, action, back to one, all this lingo, I felt my grandmother there. And I really believe as I when I did my first motivational speaking seminar, when somebody asked me, Clark, do you remember your first audition? It wasn't uh, that first time I was in the movie set. I said my grandmother gave me my first audition. She had to push me to a point mm-hmm. of pain, a point of just a miraculous, unorthodox situation to show me this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Because me being an actor has nothing to do with Hollywood, being famous. Look at me, I'm Charles D. Clark. Acting is just a vehicle to show my testimony and purpose. And it is for Dr. and Brother Lauren and you, Cowboy Jack, because we know as entertainers, public figures and radio, television, cinema, we have the biggest impact on this world. Mm-hmm. And we thought that out during well, the pandemic. I mean, that's why I'm in the business. 
That's exactly. exactly. I don't give a shit yeah. about being famous. And, I don't. And, and the thing about it is, is that this this would make us famous or influential in the eyes of the people because we're not going for that. People feel that we are like that because of what we do. The pandemic showed us, and I want this is a great problem to bring up, and I know both of y'all definitely can relate to this. The pandemic showed how important our positions are as actors, doctors, radio, public figures, because what if the world didn't have actors? What if the world didn't have top-notch podcasts such as y'all sales? What if the world didn't have the voices of a Charles D. Clark or a Dr. Lauren or Cowboy Jacks? It'd have been 10 times more worse than what it was. But because of the state we was living in, the state of times of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, live streams, movies, television shows, podcasts kept a balance for the world to be calm in some nature at the one of the most dynamic wars in political government you know, history, you know, people killed themselves, actors, um, you know, quit acting, people lost their radio shows. I mean, it was all, it was a disaster. But the thing about it is, is that again, the pandemic was new to most, but not to some. Because the pandemic of the streets, the pandemic of prison, the pandemic of foster homes. One thing about pain and the healing process of pain is recognition. When you see fire, you know it's hot, right? You look at it, oh, it feels hot, or oh, it looks hot. But unless you actually been burned by it, you never understand what hot means. That water, water. Oh, we have to have it. We drink it. The same thing that we we must have in our body to sustain life can be the very thing that can kill you. You go in the water too deep, you'll drown. I'm oh sick. Yeah. I, I, I want to keep going and going. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna have to have you on the show again. Um, matter of fact, I I even cut into some of the time that Lauren and I do yeah. our final thought because I just wanted to shut the fuck up and listen to what you had to say. Oh, you. Um, yeah. you you are you are absolutely living proof of why you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I think that you have so much insight and. And we absolutely have to have you back on the show. Before we get you out of here, though, what is one thing that you want to say to somebody that when they hear, oh, so he went to prison, that that you want them to understand why they shouldn't pass that judgment, even though it's been articulated in these two segments, just, just in one sentence, why you shouldn't judge a book by its cover about someone that's been to prison? I'm going to say this. Validation comes from who you allow to validate you. Validation comes from who you allow to validate you. In other words, if you give your worth and you're in what is being validated to the wrong person, then you will become that stigma. You become that entitlement. 
that's why people like you and I, Dr. Lauren, we gave our validation and worth and ownership to God. The validation is right what's before us. Ladies and gentlemen, True. Uh, if you have not been listening this whole entire time, we've had an amazing, amazing experience and we're absolutely going to have him back on the show, Charles D. Clark. Um, I, I, I Honestly, I'm rarely speechless, but this has just been so profound. Uh, we'll be back in five with our final thoughts between me and Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris. Charles, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. That's awesome. Hey y'all, this is Cowboy Jax. I just wanted to invite you to join the heartbeat and relationship conversation in this space right here. Your product, your service, your message, let's ride. Hey y'all, this is Cowboy Jax. And if you just tuned in to this episode, man, did you miss a monster. And I mean a monster in a good way, like a monster movement, like a monster individual that puts all of the sight and insight and philosophical process and, and just so much to offer. I'm with my good friend, Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris. Doctor, I know we're running a little bit behind schedule, but for you, what was this like? Because I know with the power of we and everything that you do, like this had to have been a really special episode for you. It was. So much so. <laughs> what a full circle moment for me. Because right now in my mind's eye, I remember that courtroom I was in. Um, at the beginning of the back and forth, back and forth to prison. And when I saw a, a female judge, she had underneath her name, the truth requires few words. And so I wrote down exactly what today meant for me. So it's not some big long soliloquy. I learned this from today. I was remembered to this from today. And I am renewed through this right now. And what I mean is this, it took being in a physical prison in the outside world of mine to release me from the multitude of prisons that were built on the inside of me that I could have never found in any other experience. Now, as far as the pandemic, when Charles was talking about the pandemic, I was remembered to the moment what is greater than told me at the beginning of the pandemic. Do not fear this, for this is the great equalizer. This is what I meant when I said, those that are first will be last, and those that are last shall be first. When all the promises started to be remembered to me, I'll never put you through more than you can handle. Um, seek and you will find no weapon formed against you. All the promises were right there within reach, and it all became clear. I realized then I don't have any haters. I have closet fans, and it's up to me to win every single one of them over. So I am so grateful for today and for Charles D. Clark and you, Cowboy Jackson, all of you out there. Because if we didn't all come like this modern stone soup story we are writing and throw everything we are into the center pot, there's no way we can understand how important we all are. No, none are less or more deserving. We are beside each other, not above or below. Well, you know, uh, normally we have about 15 minutes or so before we wrap um, our episode. And today, I got to say that 
there's really not much more to be said. Um, spending time with you and Charles today took me back to when I was that street kid. Mm-hmm. Took me back to when uh, I was working in corrections. Took me back to when I was in the United States Army. And there was a lot of healing that happened in real time because of that, because it was amazing to see these three individuals that have so much in common that haven't even so much as sat down and had a cup of coffee in real life yet. Right. So if we can do that at a transitional, transitional distance, imagine what we can do when we take the time to stop judging a book by its cover sit down with somebody that we may not necessarily understand and have a cup of coffee or a green tea or a Coke or whatever it is. And just take that moment to be omnipresent to those moments of what it means to be who we really are. I don't really have anything beyond that. And, and I don't know if don't, uh, Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris has anything beyond that. We want you to sit with this episode today because you have seen profoundness in its own right. The only thing I have left to say is this, and it's two words. You said imagine. And so I say, imagine indeed. And remember, what is greater than us has never made a mistake. They are simply keeping it interesting. Take that with you, you guys. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Y'all, I'm Cowboy Jax with my good friend, Dr. Lauren Michaels Harris, and you've been listening to License for Love, the heartbeat in relationship conversation. Take care. You're listening to License for Love with Cowboy Jax and Lauren Michaels Harris, the heartbeat in relationship conversation.